Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Oh, happy Easter, everybody. So glad that you're here. So grateful to be celebrating uh, Easter with you. I love that you're at this service. Love that you're here uh, today. It's just an honor, uh, honor to be proclaiming the resurrection, proclaiming God's word today uh, about the resurrection. So excited about that. On, on the first Easter Sunday morning, the first person who saw Jesus alive was a woman named Mary Magdalene. And on the previous Friday when Jesus was crucified on the cross, uh, all the disciples had run and, and hid uh, except for one by the name of John. And there was a crowd of people at the crucifixion, but the only people that were there who were close uh, to Jesus were his mother Mary, his aunt Salome, John, and Mary Magdalene. And that was on Friday because the Jewish law, didn't, because of the Sabbath, didn't uh, allow them any time to prepare the body for burial. Um, the, they just had to stick the body in a grave. And graves were dug out of uh, hills and mountainsides and often had many, many people inside of them. This was a grave that had never been used before, owned by a very wealthy man. And so early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene shows up uh, to finish the job, to anoint the body with spices as they did in the Middle East in those days. And the Bible says this from the book of John. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus asked Mary two very important questions. Why are you crying, and what is it you are looking for? Who are you looking for? Why was Mary crying? Okay, well, that's obvious. She's grieving. She's grieving the loss of of her friend. She's when you're grieving, you, you don't often think clearly. You don't see clearly. It clouds our perspective. If you've ever lost something, you've lost a job, you've lost a loved one, if you've ever lost a dream, if you've ever had a major loss in your life, your vision isn't that clear. God was standing right beside her and she didn't even see him. And when you're going through the dark, Jesus is very close. He's standing right next to you, but you often can't see him because it clouds our vision. And Mary thinks it's hopeless. She thinks he's dead. It's over. It's finished. He isn't coming back. But Jesus changes everything with one single word. He says to her, Mary, and in that one single word, he's saying, you know my voice. 
you know who I am and I know who you are and I know your name and I know the pain that you're carrying and I know what you're going through and I care about that pain and I can do something about it. And Jesus Christ does the same thing to you today. I don't know where you're hurting, but Jesus says to you, I know who you are. I know your name. And I care about your pain and I can do something about it. So this Easter, I'd like to ask you the same two questions that Jesus asked Mary Magdalene. What are you grieving and and what are you looking for? What causes you grief in life? What causes you pain and disappointment in life? What do you, and what do you think will make you happy again? What do you think will fill that void or heal that pain? What do you think is going to meet all your needs? And if the answer is anything besides God, I would like to respectfully submit to you that you're going to be disappointed yet again. Because you're looking for hope in all the wrong places. Because things only start looking up when we start looking up. When we start looking up to God. And the good news is you don't have to try and muster up hope today. You don't have to try and and clean up a mess to get hope today. All you have to do is shift your eyes. You don't even have to move your feet. All you have to do is look up and see a God who is seated on his throne today. He's seated. He's not standing He's seated. He's not up pacing back and forth. He's seated. There is not an ounce of anxiety in God today. And when we look to Him, we find relief. We find real hope. Most people do not understand hope. They think hope is optimism. Or they think hope is wishful thinking about the future. And while optimism is great, it's not hope. Because optimism often pushes back on reality. Optimism says, well, it's not really as bad as we think it is. Hope is real, and it's rooted in reality. And hope can look reality in the face and say, it is bad. It's really, really bad. It's worse than I thought. But hope also knows Jesus Christ and says, but there is a God, and He is faithful, and He has come through for me before, and He's going to come through again. And there is a God who is seated on His throne today, and He's in control. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. And when I need real hope, not wishful thinking, when I need real hope, not optimism, when I need hope, I look a couple of places. If you're taking notes, first place we look when we need hope is look to the cross. Because when I look to the cross, it reminds me that God is for me, And I can be forgiven of all my sin. Have you experienced God's forgiveness for your sins? For your regrets? For the times you didn't keep your promise? Maybe you cheated on a friend or a spouse? or Maybe you did things in secret that you hope will never come to light. Maybe you said things that destroyed a relationship. God's grace is absolutely amazing. Look at Colossians 2, 13 through 14. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What, what is sin? What is the sin that we're forgiven of? It's not simply just Sin isn't just being a bad person. Sin isn't just acting immorally. 
Sin is rebellion against God. It's putting other things above God, ahead of God, before God. And why did Jesus have to die for sin? Why did Jesus have to die so we could be forgiven? Why did Jesus have to die for us to be right with God? Because look at this. Look at what the payoff for rebellion against God is. Look at what the payoff for sin is. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal what? Life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin, it, it just, the, sin doesn't only make you bad. Sin doesn't just make someone immoral. Sin has you left for dead. Sin makes you dead. And when Jesus died on that cross, he paid the penalty for sin. And now I don't have to pay the penalty. I don't have to pay the death penalty because Jesus paid it in my place. You see, a lot of people think that hell is a place people go that God is mad at. Hell is not a place people go that God is mad at. Hell is a place people go to pay the wage. It's where they, they go to pay the penalty for sin. But you don't have to. It's been paid for you. In fact, I submit to you, it's ridiculous to pay that wage on your own when it's been paid for you. When Thank God for the cross where God canceled the debt of sin that you had. Even more than that, Hebrews 10, 17 says, your sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Wow! An omniscient God who knows everything has somehow limited himself to where he chooses to forget our sin? How does he do that? That, my friend, is the power of the cross. And it applies to all my past sins, future sins, current sins. You say all of them? Yes, all of them. Have you received this forgiveness? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Or are you still carrying the penalty for your sin? One more verse on this, 1 John 1, 8 through 9. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we're only deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The night before Jesus went to the cross, uh, Scripture tells us he was in complete agony. Uh, he was in a garden. He, he kneeled down to pray. He was in such agony that he began to sweat, sweat great drops of blood. Why? wasn't because of the physical torture he was about to go through, although that was great. It was because in those moments he began taking on the shame and the guilt of the whole world. All, the, all sin. I mean, I, I feel bad carrying my own stuff. But God began to pour into him the guilt and the shame of the whole world. Jesus says, I'm going to take all of it. Every, the shame of every rape ever committed Every murder ever committed, I'm going to take the guilt of it. Every molestation, every abuse, every evil thought, every evil action, every evil betrayal, every adultery, every theft. He said, I'm going to take on the guilt of the killing fields and the Holocaust and genocides. I'm going to take on the entire shame of the world and I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to finish it there. And if there were any other way for you to be saved... Any other way for you to be saved from hell and get into heaven besides Jesus taking on that agony and that pain and finishing it on the cross, God would not have wasted the effort. 
If there were any way, other way to be saved, Christ would not have gone through that. This is the only way we're going to make it. You can't earn it. Christ has to earn it for you and give it to you. And now God is for you. God, God is not holding anything against you. God is for you. God is not the one who's behind your bad days. God is not the one who's behind the pain that you're experiencing in life. God is for you. Do you ever just say that? Do you ever just say, God is for me. He's not holding anything against me. What if you really believe the power of forgiveness that flows from the cross? Will you look to the cross? The other thing we look to today is an empty tomb. Because it doesn't end at the cross, thank God. Number two, when I look to the empty tomb, it reminds me of God's promise for my future. What is a tomb? A tomb is where you store dead things. There seems to be such a finality to it. You put uh, the body in there and it decays. But in reality, the tomb was just a temporary inconvenience on the way, on the path to where Jesus was going. A closed tomb could not hold what God had in store for Jesus' future. They put a stone over it and the Lined it with Roman guard, but nothing could stop the plans God had for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the truth. God has the same plans for you. The same plans God has for Jesus and his empty grave is the same plans he has for you. And nothing can thwart God's plan because if God is for you, nothing can stand against you. And Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. We won't stay in the tomb either. You know, even with your sins forgiven, even with God being for you, you're going to experience some bad days. Life is going to throw you some curveballs every once in a while. Old habits won't seem to die. Friends won't always act like friends. Why? Because this is Missouri. This ain't heaven. It's nice. It's a nice day today. But this ain't heaven. This is where you are is not where you are going. This is wonderful. It's the heartland of America, but where you've been is not where you're going to be. In fact, it doesn't even compare. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's talking about heaven. It's a place where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more hurts, no more hang-ups, no more bad habits. No starving children, no terrorist attacks, no wars. It's a place Jesus promised. No more spring allergies, hallelujah, bless the Lord, amen. Can I get a better amen, somebody? It's perfect in every way. It's a place Jesus promised. He said, I'm, I'm going to pre prepare a place for you. And where I'm going, you can be with me someday. It's his promise to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now the writer here is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And he's not trying to trivialize your problems or your pain when he says this. The pain is real. When he wrote this, his pain was very real. But he's saying if you ever just look up and ever you've just got a, a glimpse of it, you would see that 
It's so amazing that it far outweighs what you're going. If you could see it, you would consider the pain that you're going through now light and momentary. It's that amazing. It's that great. He goes on to say, so we fix our eyes. We look up. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen. What is seen? That's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. You know, sometimes people ask, why did Jesus uh, have to rise from the dead? Why does there have to be an empty tomb? Um, couldn't, isn't the cross enough? Couldn't have God just, him sending his one and only son as a sacrifice, wouldn't that be enough? And there's many answers to that question, one of them being that with the cross doesn't mean anything without an empty tomb, and it proves nothing. Without Jesus rising from the dead, he's just another amazing man who lived and died. But the other answer to that question of why did Jesus come back from the dead is not only because it does something amazing for him, it does something amazing for us as well. God wasn't done writing our story. God wasn't done giving us amazing things through his grace. And it did something amazing for us. What is that? 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, he's only the first of those who have fallen asleep. It's saying he's the first to rise and, 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 Because he has conquered death, death isn't even death anymore. It's just like falling asleep. And just like Jesus rose, everyone will rise. That's the power of the King of Kings. They put a sign above Jesus' head on the cross. It said, King of the Jews. They were mocking him. They're saying, here's your king, beaten and bloodied and hanging on this pole. And Jesus said, you don't get it. My kingdom is not of this world. I am a king, but I'm not an earthly king. I'm not a worldly king. My kingdom is not of this world because every king in this world gets a grave. Every king gets a grave. Every king gets a grave. King Tut has a grave. Anybody seen King Tut's grave? It's pretty amazing because he died in 1323 BC and there's his grave. You could go see it. You could go to the tomb of of Xerxes. Xerxes claimed to be the most powerful man alive, the most powerful man on the earth until he died in 465 BC. And in the tomb of Xerxes are buried four mighty kings who we find in the story in the pages of Scripture. Darius I, Artaxerxes I, Darius II, and Xerxes I are all buried there. Every king gets a grave. You could go to London, visit Westminster Abbey. It's like a 30 for one shot on seeing dead kings and queens. If you're into that kind of thing, this is the place to go because they're all in really close quarters. And buried here are King Edward I, the third, the fifth, and the sixth. They're all there. King Henry the third, the fifth, and the sixth. Richard II, Queen Mary I and the second, Elizabeth I, Charles II, William III, George II, and Mary Queen of Scots are all buried there. Every king gets a grave. Every queen gets a grave. You could go to Paris and uh, see the tomb of Napoleon. Napoleon has a tomb. Every king gets a tomb. Every king gets a grave. When Jesus was born, there was a king, King Herod, and he ruled over Palestine. He He heard that Jesus had come, and they, they were saying he was the king of the world, that he was the king of kings, and King Herod tried to snuff out 
Jesus. He was so powerful that he, he had the power to exterminate a whole nation of children under a certain age. And not long after he made that proclamation, he started preparing for his death and his burial. And he built the Herodian before he died in 4 BC. And in it, he was buried. And not long ago, his sarcophagus was found. And you can go see it in the Israel Museum. King Herod has a sarcophagus. King Herod has a tomb. Every king gets a grave. When Jesus was born, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be taxed. He was the most powerful man on the planet. He was deity in his own eyes and in the eyes of some of his followers. And he reigned as the emperor from 27 BC until AD 14, and then he died. And he's buried today in the mausoleum of Augustus in Rome, Italy. And you can go see where the emperor lay. When he died in 14 AD, Tiberius became the emperor of Rome. And on the day that Jesus was crucified on that cross, it was by the power of Rome. And it was ultimately an edict of Tiberius, who was emperor in that day. He ruled from 14 AD to 37 AD. And Tiberius has a tomb. They put him in Augustus' mausoleum in Rome. And both emperors who ruled the world at Jesus' birth and Jesus' crucifixion are in the same mausoleum. But the one they tried to kill early and the one they ultimately thought they crushed on that Friday rose up out of a borrowed tomb on Easter Sunday and you cannot travel to any place on planet Earth today and see the place where Jesus' body lay. Because kings and queens and emperors and rulers and czars, and presidents, and prime ministers, all have tombs, all have graves, but there is no grave that can hold the King of Kings, King Jesus. He is not there. Look up. Look up. And to every one of us that, that steps into that place where Jesus was raised, for every one of us that joins with historian and puts our trust in Him, our faith in Him, and puts our life in His hands, we rise too. There's a, a cemetery close to my house, just a couple of blocks away, and drive by it often, I go on walks, and kind of end up at that cemetery and walk through there. And it had me just thinking about cemeteries and the history and why they are the way they are and different things about them. And studying it one day, I discovered that the word cemetery, like the actual word itself, uh, is the same exact word in its etymology as the word dormitory. Anyone ever been to college? Anyone ever experienced a dorm? That experience where you walk up to a bed and you look at that mattress and it's like hundreds of people have slept in this mattress. And like you look at that sink and it's like hundreds of people have washed their hair in that Barbie sink. And, and you think, I can get through this though because it's temporary. It's temporary. And maybe you say, well, our, our dorm room's really nice. We've got this quad thing with the jacuzzi and everything else. So that's really great for you, but you still don't want to turn on a black light at night. Like, you know, you're thinking, I got to get through this. To, you know, this is a temporary thing, I hope. Look at what the definition of a dormitory is. A dormitory is a place you rent for a short time for rest. You know what a cemetery is? 
You know what a cemetery means for those who are followers of Jesus? A cemetery is a plot you rent for a short time for rest. Your body rests because your, your spirit, if you know Jesus, is already joined together with him. And Jesus says, on the day of all days, when I come back, I'm going to raise your body, reconnect it with your spirit in a perfected state, and you will be with God in heaven forever. It's why they put Jesus in a borrowed tomb. Because you don't need to buy one if you're Jesus. Hey, disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, and they're going to hand me over, and and I'm going to be killed. But if you could pool your money together and and buy me a nice grave, a nice tomb, that would be great. Because people for thousands of years are going to want to come see where the great teacher, the great healer, the great leader lay. No, you're fine borrowing one for a couple of days if you're Jesus. He did not need to buy a tomb. And you don't have to take a pilgrimage today somewhere. Go on a journey somewhere today to see your king and your savior because he's not there, he's alive. And just like he was with Mary Magdalene, he's closer than you ever thought. And what he's offering is the same power that raised him from the dead can raise you from the dead. And the same power that raised him up out of hell can raise you up out of hell. So what now? What now? You know, as you drive out of the parking lot today, you're not going to remember much of what I said today. As the days go by, weeks go by, you're going to remember very little of this message, if anything. But the choice you make today about Jesus' resurrection, the decision you make about the resurrection today, will change your eternity. And on this day, in this room right here, right now, you can be forgiven completely. And you could know from this moment on that because Jesus lives, I live. And they may put your body in a dorm room for a little while, but you are going to rise victorious. And the grave cannot, will not, be your final resting place because the King of Kings is alive in you. So how should I respond to to the resurrection? If you're taking notes, just three quick things. Number one, believe that Jesus is who he said he was. It's it's so easy to sin. It's, It's so easy to fall into sin. We're born into it. But thank God he made it simple to be saved. It's faith. You believe. It's trust. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible, that's what God's word says. Do you believe God? Do you take God at his word? Do you believe him today? Number two, receive the hope that he gives. Don't reject God any longer. Receive the hope that he offers. Receive the love that he has for you. Acts 2.38, they asked Peter how to be saved. He replied, repent and be baptized. Repent. I mean, turn from the direction that you're on. Turn back to God. Come back to God. Turn around. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can be baptized today. We're doing baptisms after all the services this weekend. What is baptism? Baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol. It's a picture that says, I'm in. 
That you get immersed in the water to say, I'm in on the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That the Easter story is my story as well. And when Christ went down, I went down. And my old life died. But now that Christ lives, I can live a new life as well. And Pastor Kelly will be out later to tell you how you can participate in that. But number three, become the person I was created to be. God created a spiritual family. It's called the church. 1 John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, so to those who have believed and received, he gave the right to become the children of God. And we're here to help you become the person God created you to be. That's why we exist. We're here, we're here to help you live as a child of God. Would you bow your head as we go to pray? I don't know what you're realizing today. Maybe you realize that, that without Christ, you're left for dead. I, I don't know how you see yourself or how you think about yourself. Maybe you think of yourself as a very bad person that could never be forgiven. Maybe you think of yourself as a good person, better than most. But you realize today that as good as you are, that doesn't solve the problem of sin. And that doesn't solve the problem of death. And maybe you realize that as bad as you are, there's no sin that the cross cannot forgive. And maybe you realize today that this isn't about good and bad. This is about life and death. Would you just pray this in your heart and your mind right now? Say, God, I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus got up out of that grave and the tomb is empty. And I declare Jesus is Lord. I, I want to follow him. I want to receive the hope he offers. I want to become the person you created me to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.